0: And thank you for this opportunity to share with you the word of the Lord. And I always enjoy when coding read, it come, the word of the Lord just came through. It just came through. Now, uh, weddings, weddings is something celebrated in all, all culture, I think. All cultures, weddings. And it's a big milestone for, for the couples. A big time for the family. Let me actually take you back to where I come from, 14 years ago, Malaysia, and from my culture. How a wedding would look like in Malaysia, a Chinese wedding. And of all anything, the main stay of, the main focus of the wedding is the dinner, wedding dinner. The wedding dinner. Let me describe to you a little bit of the wedding dinner. You will be actually it will be a ten-course dinner. Uh, each course is something like you go to the Chinese restaurant now, you go to the family family meal, and that is the size and that is the, the the kind of food you get for ten courses. So you have a round table and you'll be sitting around the table, ten person, and you'll be feasting and eating the ten-course dinner. And uh, so much so that. Uh, uh, when you're invited for the dinner, we, we say, oh, I'm going for the dinner. We, we, we call the, 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 the phrase in Chinese is in Hokkien, where my dialect is called jia to. Jia tog, translated literally means eating the table. <laughs> so I'm going to eat the table. Yeah. So that is the, the translation, direct So if, if you are, I you now have, have, have opportunity in, in good Malaysia and people ask you to eat the table. You feel privileged, but don't bring your saw and your <laughs> chainsaw and all that. <laughs> but it's normally a very communal thing and there'll be literally hundreds of people. It's very easily a nominal, uh, dinner will have 50 table times 10, we'll be 500 people. So how is it sustainable is that when you go for the dinner, we give a red packet and then we put money in that to help to pay. So it's sustainable. It's sustainable. Now, giving that view, on one occasion, Chin and myself, we were invited to my colleague's dinner. We were invited to my colleague's dinner. We rush there, you know, there will be no name list on the table. The table is quite simple, uh, a round plywood kind of thing, and they drap it over with a, a red cloth, and then you sit on plastic chairs around there. But who cares about the chairs? Look at the food. Now, so we, we, we usher ourselves in and then uh, you'll be probably sitting with strangers making polite uh, remarks to start and then the meal will start serving even sometime before the bride and bridegroom come come to the the, the party. So we were sitting there with eight other strangers uh, uh, trying to make some polite uh, remarks. Uh, then the, the, the meal was served. After the second or second dish or first or second dish, then the bride and bridegroom came in, and we were shocked. We don't recognize the bride and bridegroom. We were in the wrong party. <laughs> the reason is because they, they 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 always held this party in school halls and all that, and there could be more than one. <laughs> so we quietly. Excuse ourselves to the toilet, (laughs) regroup, and look for the, for, for the, 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 and we found. (laughs) And you could, could be actually going to, but here we have the invitation by God. As read to us, come everyone. Those who thirst, come to the water. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Verse 1 and 2 actually introduce to a scene of God inviting us to feast. But it also tells us of a dilemma as well as a paradox. The dilemma is that people choose to go to the wrong party, to eat the wrong food. And the paradox here is that the free food is the good food. And the one which you pay for it's not even food, probably rubbish. So you have a paradox and you have a dilemma. Let's talk a bit, a bit of this. Now let's talk about the paradox first. Now in these modern days of marketing, market-driven forces, we know that to get quality, you have to pay. That was wrong to us. Pay money for the better car, pay money for the better, whatever goods you want. Pay to get quality. This is a hostile, competitive, exploitative market. So you have to pay to get the real stuff. And sometimes you pay, you get corn as well. So this is the situation. So how is this logic, how does this become logical? Is it counter logic? Is the free food therefore impossible to be good? Let me take you now to another scene. And in this scene, you are in your mother's kitchen. And your mother is cooking. And you very often hear this, your mom say, hey, don't go out and eat. I have food here. It's free. It's good. It makes all logical sense, right? There's a two different scenario. The food in the kitchen made by a mother is what like. God posture himself like a mother, cooking good food for the family. Now it's free to the person who receives it. But please remember, it cost the mother to put the food on the table. And the same way as God invited us for this free good meal, Isaiah 53 say it cost him plenty. It cost him plenty. As we have read in our communion, the scene of Golgotha. The scene of Golgotha. I always like, George say, you know, when that is read, I have to put my brain back and try to imagine the dusty scene and how it was driven. The scene of, the, 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 the scenarios. So, although it's free, it's good, but it costs plenty. It speaks of the graciousness, the love of God to his creation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And in verse uh end of verse 3, delight yourself in this rich food. Rich food. So this is the this no longer becomes something illogical. Because God is a good God. God is a rich God. God is a loving God. God is a generous God. And He say, come to His feast, Come to His feast." But the dilemma is that people choose to eat rubbish. And even to pay for rubbish. And why is that? Why is that? I would not stand here and say that there is only one reason. There is a host of reasons. Perhaps I can just bring out a few. Maybe, and and we are actually preaching the gospel to this culture. Those who refuse to come to eat. This rich food. Because in Australia, we have the foundation, we have the news, we have the background for for many years, from the beginning when Australia was actually formed. But people are turning away. So there are many reasons, and I can uh, tell you one of the reasons which I find perhaps we have to consider too. Now, one of the reasons is the superficiality of actually... Analyzing what our thirst is, he says that come everyone who thirsts, there is a presumption that everyone thirsts, a thirst which actually grips us, a thirst that we need to be fulfilled to to actually to, to 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 find a a place to drink. Everyone, there is a superficiality. That people will say, "Ah, it's 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 not that bad." So I would actually just turn to something which just give me uh, a small respite, and that's it. So they do not actually robah uh, what they call rigorously. The words rigorously seek what is that thirst. And that's one of the reasons, I think, when you actually just take a superficiality of life. You know my I I I think the sweetest water, a sweetest drink to quench my thirst, is a cold water, pure water. And my daughter always scolded me because sometimes I go for Coca Cola. <laughs> 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 but anyway, you know. Come to the real, come to the thing which is real. So, so that supposedly is one of the reasons I think. All right, in this range, then there's also the part whereby people are distracted. The cares of life distract us to actually turn away from this thirst and say, ah, you know, this is enough. Let's, let 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 me, you know, it's not it's one of the many cares of the world, but not knowing that this thing which actually ate in the heart is something very important for us to face it and say we must have an answer for that. So the next thing is that the distraction of the the noises of life, fear, earning more money, uh, entertainment and all that distract us from facing. So these are the things which actually uh, perhaps make people not go and eat and drink the real food. That's another on the other other range which I like to sort of uh, just dwell. It's still in the work. We are perhaps in a post, not a post-Christian culture. We are perhaps in the post-80s culture. Hear me? We are in a post-80s culture. The 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 argument that there is no God, as science explains everything. Atheistic point of view, is crumbling. Because by the same way the the logical uh, uh, way they argue out their case, is actually really pulling them down. And people are believing that it's not possible to sustain. Things like evolution and all that, with some credibility, in the in the in, in the in the institution. What is the post atheist? So the post atheist, uh, what they call that, say no God, is going to be a, 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 what do you call on the back burner, back burner. Somebody give a, a, a paper, and I am considering that we are perhaps in the neo-paganistic culture. In the event of the new age uh, spirituality, yoga and the light, there is a movement and and the wokeness and all that kind of thing. Although these are many, many streams, the sum total of it, this fellow put a picture, is is the revival of a paganistic culture. They have recognized that there's a spirituality people want to actually to get connected to. And therefore, you will have this, this paganistic culture, paganistic thinking coming through. Not as one unit, but like Medusa with many, many heads. but the one body. You chop off one head, one will come out. But there is a unity. It speaks of what we talk about the end time. That behind all the evil, the rebellion, the rebellion of people against God, stand Satan. Stand Satan. So, still on the work, Still on the work of observation, are we in this post-pagan? So when we talk about idolatry in Isaiah, you find people will actually be actually going and worshipping this practice. So anyway, why do people go to the to this rubbish to eat? It could be one of those reasons. But personally, I feel every time I share the gospel and I bring people to the point whereby all logical explanation, all the needs and all that have been identified and have been uh, uh, dealt with, still one stand. And that is the reluctant to leave the world of sin. It is a moral decision. For a person, a moral barrier, stronghold, holding back a person from being a child of God. Most of the time, it is just he refuses to live the life of sin. And that's a choice. That's a choice. So when we pray to people, of you know, and, and, and those people who who actually we share the gospel to, just try try to ask the Lord, Lord, show me which is the stronghold which I have to pray towards to break down and to address that. And maybe this is how we should be praying specifically for those who are interested in sharing the gospel. Alright, so that is the first two verses. The first two verses so God asked us to come and eat rich food and that's this dilemma and that this paradox and what is this rich food of which God wants us to partake in? what's this rich food? now verse two and verse two maybe even from verse one when God said come, you now come everyone who turns. then he said, uh, God uh, have a, a a a a dialogue and say why 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 do you spend money for those who is not food? And he said, listen diligently to me. Listen diligently. And then verse three said, incline your ear and come to me. And then in verse six, now that 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 is actually the first person speaking. Now in verse six is Isaiah pleading to God to, to the people, seek the Lord while he may be found. Is a third person speaking. What all this means is, these are relational languages. Relational languages. I'm I'm glad that, uh, uh, Josh in the beginnings, asked the question, "What does God speak to you?" And we actually are in this church, which actually believe that our salvation is not a mantra where you just hold on to, or a membership you hold on to. Your salvation is actually what is your relationship with God. This is the thing God is offering. A restored relationship between you and Him. Now, we, 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 may be actually simplifying a lot of matter, and I hope that we may be simplifying a lot of matter as we got to sharing the gospel. Or you become a Christian, Jesus died for your sin, your sin will be forgiven. Stop. Or because your sin is for you, you become a Christian, your sin is forgiven, then you got a ticket to go to heaven. That's all. That is our marketing point. This is a very simplistic. No. Even at the beginning, we are asking people to have a restored relationship with God. The forgiveness of sin and is to remove that barrier so that we can have a restored relationship with God. And that is our message. And this is the message of this church. This message. So this is, this is what God is offering. Now that is a general Expectation of being that relationship, he says in verse, uh, seven, he says, let the wicked forsake the way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let he return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There is a general expectation, there's a general culture, there's a general, whereby our values and our standards are dictated by the word of the Lord. It's clear. So there is, it is not something like, something we have to hold, like uh, uh, the rules, uh, with, with such, uh, uh, the rules as though if we fail, and then that's it. You know, it's not something we achieve. But there is expectation of the values, and the standard in the Bible, which all of us hold. But I want to bring to you the next layer of this relationship we have with God. God wants to have a relationship with our church, yes. But in particular, God wants to have a relationship with you as specific individuals. If you look at the passage in John 15 or John 14, John 15 says, abide in me and my word and, and I abide in you. He's not just talking to the church. He wants to move into your life. Move into life. So there is this specific journey which you personally will be walking in a restored way with God. And it's a unique personal Relationship between you and God, and this is what God offers you; it's yours. So the underworking of it is that you have opportunity, which is yours alone. That means your walk. You will have resources, which you have to steward. You have gifts, which God gives to you as individual to play a part. You have instances in your life which is different to others. And this is what God wants to walk with you through your life. So I'm not looking at a crowd. I'm talking to you as individual. God is dealing with you as individual. As individual. You can't hide behind the crowd of mormoncy. God Want to speak to you as individual in a relational form. In a relational form. And therefore, in your journey, there may be times whereby it is off the book. It's off the book. And you're wondering, you know, Lord, sometimes, why, where are you in this experience? And he says that, now, in verse verse 9, verse 8, it will come the time whereby this verse comes to speak to you. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When your experience goes off the book, it's the individual walk between you and Lord of trust. The the economy we actually uses may not apply. Let me tell you what I mean. Okay, uh, there is a missionary by the name of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot. I'm sure seeing the nodding of hate, you all know some part of the story. Now, Jim Elliot had a, 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 a desire, he went down to South America, the desire to take the gospel to the people of South America. And then in particular, God gave him a longing, a desire to reach out to a very unrich, unrich in civilization, a tribe, the Oka, right in the jungle. And there was many, many effort he tried to, to, to reach out to them. Even, you know, to go flying by the plane. He had to learn how to fly even to go there and all that. So there was a lot of effort. So he grew a team. Not only him, there's a team. They try always dropping gift and all that, studying whether the people take out the gift and all that. And finally, to cut the story short, they make contact. So they actually say, they make contact, the gift was in. So there was also a reciprocating gift back to them. You know, to them. What happened is they can fly in a circle and you can drop a line by, by and then the blind will go right down. You know, it's, it's a, a technique where, and, and then when, when, when the people can actually put things down and then leave it up. So they, they, there's a reciprocation, that is a response. Wow. So they make a decision. A few of them made a decision to go and set camp to contact this, this thing. This, this group of people, the orca. When they went in, they didn't come out. Later, the, the, they, they, they were, they were killed by the orca themselves. Do not know what actually happened, miscommunication or whatever and all that. They were killed by this, this thing. And you'll be wondering why. What is God's... What is the economy of these few, I think about four or five of them, going there to die without any fruits? What is the economy of God? In another instance, uh, in South Thailand, there was... There is... I don't know whether they're still running... a uh, OMF mission hospital. And we are blessed when people actually the doctors and all that uh, who are christian sacrificially go and stay there and they run they ran a remarkable hospital the OMF great testimony especially uh, in among the the, the people thereby their hospital uh, is uh, better run and give better Uh, treatment than the government hospital things like that So it's a good testimony for the Lord but one day on a picnic trip there was an accident and they were travelling in not just one car I think a van load of staff doctors nurses missionaries With their families. And they wipe out. They wipe out. And during the time I was just a a young Christian during that, I was asking, God, what is the economy of this? What is the economy of this? He came back to me like this verse. God is sovereign. We do not equate economy that way. We do not echo. Now I just wonder whether, personally, sometimes we walk through incidences in our life, and it goes off the book. Lord, you know, uh, I've given my tie and uh, as though it's significant. I've shared the gospel. I've served the church and all that. And why is this happening to my family? Lord, why? There's another Christian who do the same or even less, but look at them. Look at them. I'm so envious of what you are blessing them and why it's not happening in my life. Why have I got to face this? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. And not all accounts are settled on earth. Not all accounts and debts are paid on earth. The Lord is sovereign. You know, on that day, on that day when Pilate, ask the crowd, would you release Barabbas or Jesus? Barabbas or Jesus? At that point, things could have changed. The fate of Jesus could have changed. His family members was there maybe hoping. His believers around there probably looking at the crowd. Maybe were hoping that the crowd will come to their senses and say, Jesus! Release Jesus! And when they say Barabbas, probably you think that, hey, hey, you know, something is killed there. But his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And Jesus was put on the cross. And because of that, that his word where he promised, so my word will be goes out from my mouth and you should not come back to me void. The prophecy will be fulfilled. The servant will be crucified for our sin. And therefore, verse 22, for you and I shall go out in joy and we will let forth in peace and the mountains and the hill will break forth with singing. Hallelujah. And all this, all the trees of the field will clap their hand. And this is the prophecies and this is the promise of the Lord. Shall we pray? Our Father God, we thank you, dear Lord God, for the weight of your words, giving such promises and giving such hope, and yet to treat us with such tenderness, and just to treat us with such individual touch in our life. Father, we thank you, dear Lord God. May our life, dear Lord God, Sometimes we do not understand. We'll, we'll be walking in faith in you, dear Lord God. We trust you, dear Lord God. We want you to use our life and help us, dear Lord God, each day. So as we go up this week, dear Lord God, we pray that we will continue to remember that you ask us to come. You ask to come and feast on the rich food we have in your fellowship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.